Well, the original plan that I had at the beginning of this week was that we would be looking together at Ecclesiastes, second part of chapter 7. But because of some unexpected things throughout the later part of the week, we will be looking at that part of Ecclesiastes next week. And so if you would, please turn with me now to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. Hear the word of the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff They comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Our Father in heaven, we come before you as we open your word together. And we ask that You would come now, that You would fill us with Your Holy Spirit, that You would fill me with Your Holy Spirit. Enable me to to proclaim Your Word with clarity in a way that's understanding and makes much of Your glory and makes much of Christ. And I pray for these who are sitting before me, who are listening. May You give them ears to hear and eyes to see Your Word. And may they accept it and receive it with glad hearts. May they see your wonderful promises, your wonderful truths that you have here for them as your people. And it's in Christ's name we ask and pray these things. Amen. Psalm 23, as most of you, if not all of you, already know, is one of the most, if not one of the most, if not the most, well-known passage of Scripture throughout the whole entire Bible. The only other passage of Scripture that I can think of that's more well-known would be John 3.16. So we know this psalm very well. And this past week, on Friday, I was asked to do a, a funeral for some family members and good friends of mine. And this is the passage that they asked me to preach from. And I know this psalm very well. I've read it probably hundreds of times. Read it before I stand to preach to you guys almost every Sunday morning. But that was the first time that I had been asked to preach from the psalm itself. And as I was preparing that sermon to stand and to preach to that mourning and grieving family, what was coming out of this psalm was just its amazing how it makes much of God. The two pictures that it shows us, the Lord as a shepherd and then the Lord as a host. That's what we're going to see. But the most beautiful thing of all that just jumps out from Psalm 23 is how it leads us and shows us the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's where we're going to end up as we walk through these verses So the first picture that we're going to see is the Lord as a shepherd. And that's going to be verses 1 to 4. 
And David begins saying, The Lord is my shepherd. Now the Lord being pictured as a shepherd is not exclusive only to Psalm 23. We see this throughout different parts of the Bible, throughout different parts of the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the Lord being a shepherd to His people. But David here in verse 1, he says that the Lord is my shepherd. He's mine. He's my shepherd. And I want you to notice, like David usually does in the Psalms, he uses God's personal name. And you can see that by looking at the word LORD and how it's in all caps. The personal name of God is being used here, Yahweh. So David is being specific. He's saying that the living God, the one true God, He is my shepherd, not just some idol that some other nation or pagan people have constructed, made of of metal or of wood. No, he's saying that the one true God, the living God, He is my shepherd. And because Yahweh is His shepherd, He says He shall not want. Which just means that all of His needs are going to be provided the Lord, His shepherd, is going to make sure that all of His needs will be provided. He will not walk through His lifetime being needy or lacking anything that He needs. He shall not want. And because He shall not want, He says that the Lord makes Him lie down in green pastures. Now the picture that we see here is of a shepherd and his flock of sheep, and he's making them lie down in green pastures. Now from what I have read about sheep, obviously I haven't spent any time around sheep, but from what I've read, sheep are rather stubborn animals, and they're very skittish animals. And so to make one lie down, all of their needs, pretty much all of their needs have to be met. They need food. They need security. They need to understand that their shepherd is going to care for them. So if none of those things are met, then they're not going to lie down. And so that's what David is showing here. He's saying that the Lord is meeting all of those needs. He's doing all of those things for David. And remember, David himself, before God called him from the fields, he himself was a shepherd. David watched over sheep, and so he would know this picture very well. Because as he watched over his sheep, his goal would be able to, or his goal would to be to make his sheep lie down, to feel security, to watch over them well. So this is the picture that he's painting for us. The Lord being a good shepherd. And then he says, He leads me beside still waters, which is a a picture of peace and of comfort. Then he says, He restores my soul. Picture your, your physical body. Your body needs food, right? It needs to be fed. And whenever it's not fed, it becomes weak. It becomes famished. It needs water. And when it doesn't get water, it becomes weak. 
And so David is saying here that as his physical body needs food, it needs water, so his soul, his very soul needs sustenance as well. And the Lord is what gives him that. When his soul is dry, when it feels famished, the Lord is the one who revives it, who gives him life. The Lord, His shepherd, is the one who restores His soul. He breathes life into David. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Because the Lord is the one leading David, he doesn't have to worry about being led down some paths of falsehood or of of wickedness. Some dark paths. No, the Lord will always lead David in paths of light, in paths of of justice, in paths of righteousness, as he says. And he does this for his name's sake. Now, I want you either to, to highlight that or circle it or embed it into your memory because that phrase, for his name's sake, is critical. I cannot express the weight that is put on that phrase there, for His name's sake. Now, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it now. We're going to come back to that. So let's let's move on. The last picture of the Lord being a shepherd that that David gives us is that He's even with David whenever he walks through the valley of the shadow of death. The Lord will not forsake David, even whenever things get rough, you could say when he's walking in the very presence of death or of deep darkness, which is what death can also mean, the valley of deep darkness. And so as he's walking through this valley, being covered with death or with deep darkness, the Lord is there. And he says, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And he's protecting him with his staff, with his rod, his shepherd's staff that he would use to ward off any type of wild beast or or enemies that would seek to hurt the sheep. Because of that, David is comforted. He says, they comfort me. And then in verse 5, the picture changes. It changes from the Lord being a shepherd to the Lord being a host. Like if you and I were to, to host someone in our homes. The Lord is inviting David to his house as his guest. And you can see that by the language that David uses. He says, you prepare a table before me. You have the picture of a table being set. The Lord putting food on this table for David. Then you have the language of a cup. And then the Lord, and then David saying, referring to the house of the Lord in verse 6. So this language is showing us that David is the Lord's guest. He has been invited into the Lord's house. But something strange is going on. David says that, you know, the table's there. You have this great feast that the Lord has put before him. He anoints his head with oil, which just is a, it's a picture of blessing. The Lord pouring blessing upon blessing on David's head. So much so that his cup overflows. But in the midst of all this, he says that his enemies are there. 
He says that the Lord does all of this in the presence of my enemies. Now why would the Lord do that? Because if you and I were to invite someone into our homes, you know, if we were to host someone, we would not invite their enemies. And hopefully, if when we were invited into someone else's house, they would not invite our enemies. You know, the very people who would try to take our life or, or harm us. So why does the Lord do it? We would consider Him a bad host, would we not? You know, that's common sense. You don't put two people together in a, in a house that don't like each other. You're asking for trouble. So why does the Lord do that? The Lord puts David's enemies in His presence because He has tied their hands. They're helpless. All they can do is sit there and watch David receive blessing upon blessing, so much so that his cup overflows. And they can't do anything about it. The very people who were probably trying to harm him, take his life, probably the very reason why he was walking in the valley of the shadow of death in the first place, they're there watching him receive all of this blessing. And so the Lord is showing, when you are a guest in my house, Nothing can harm you. You know, even if your enemies do bring upon you unfortunate events, whatever they may look like, they come from the Lord's hands first. Nothing happens without His control. So even in the presence of His enemies, David is considered blessed. Blessed upon imagination. And then he exalts in the Lord. He says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That phrase, goodness and mercy, it means steadfast love. God's steadfast love will follow David. And also, when David says that it's going to follow him, it doesn't mean that it's going to, you know, like lag behind him. It means pursue. Like aggressively pursue. Wherever David goes, God's steadfast love is going to be there. He can't escape it. Wherever he goes, God's steadfast love is going to pursue David all the days of his life. And it's going to cause him to dwell in the Lord's house forever. During his life and on into eternity. Now why does God do that? Why does He do all of the things that we see here in Psalm 23? Why does He watch over David and all of God's people for that matter? If you are God's child, a follower of Christ, then these promises are true for you. So why does God do that? For you, for David. He tells us in verse 3, for His name's sake. 
God shows this incredible mercy, this incredible protection, this incredible steadfast love for His own namesake, for His glory. Which is, that's what's meant there. He does this for His glory. This is His character. This is who God is. He doesn't do it because you're worthy. He does it because this is who He is. Now what, what does that look like? What does it look like for God's name to be known? What does it look like to be described? How does God Himself describe His name or His glory? Turn with me to Exodus chapter 34. Now I know many of you, members of Alt's Chapel, you know this chapter very well. Exodus chapter 34. Now before I read in Exodus chapter 34 and verse 5, I want to set up what's going on here. So the people of Israel, they are wandering in the wilderness. God has given them His law, His commandments, what He expects of them. And they have rejected the Lord. They constructed this golden calf and they bowed down and they worshipped this calf. And so Moses comes down from Mount Sinai and he sees all of this. He throws the Ten Commandments that were inscribed in stone, He throws them down. God's wrath is poured upon the people. And then God tells Moses that His presence among His people, He's going to take that presence away. He's no longer going to dwell among them. And this just destroys Moses. He cries out to God and he says, No, Lord, please. If Your presence is not among us, then what do we have? This is what sets us apart. Your presence being among us is what makes us who we are. And so Moses cries out in verse 18 of Exodus chapter 33. He says, please show me your glory. Please show it to me so that I may know that you will be among us. And then the Lord responds in verse 19 and He says, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim before you my name. My name, the Lord. So now look over to chapter 34, beginning in verse 5. Moses has now gone back up Mount Sinai and the Lord is about to reveal His name or His glory before Moses. So what does it look like? What does His glory look like? We read in verse 5, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with Him, stood with Him there, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before Him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third 
and the fourth generation. So Moses cries out, show me your glory. Show me your name, what it looks like, how you describe your name. And that is what the Lord shows him. That He is a God of steadfast love, which is where David gets that phrase in Psalm 23. Steadfast love. And He's going to show that upon thousands, upon thousands, but who at the same time will not clear the guilty. So you have a tension there. God showing steadfast love upon thousands, but whom at the same time will not clear the guilty. Now how how do those two mix? How do they come together? Because that creates a problem. Because you're a sinner. You're guilty. I'm guilty. And every human being who has lived after Adam and Eve because of their fall, they're all sinners. We've all rebelled against God as Romans 3.23 tells us, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have all fallen short of this standard that the Lord puts before us. The Lord's glory is the standard and we have fallen hopelessly beneath it. And so how is God going to show mercy upon wretched people like us? The answer is Christ. He sends His Son. Now before we look at Christ and how He fulfills all of this, I told you a moment ago that this is not the only place, Psalm 23 that is, that's not the only place that we see this shepherd language. So I want to make a couple of stops before we get to John chapter 10. So come with me to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. Now in Isaiah chapter 40, the prophet Isaiah is prophesying to the people of Judah. And in this time period, the nation of Israel, they have been split in two. Israel was in the north and Judah was in the south. And at this time, the people of Judah were rebelling against God. And so Isaiah comes to them and proclaims to them the word of the Lord. And he's telling them, look, if you guys don't straighten up, God's going to bring judgment upon you. So he's speaking to the whole nation. But also, Isaiah is speaking to the leaders of Israel who were supposed to be shepherds of God's people. But they weren't shepherding them well. And so this is what Isaiah says beginning in verse 9 of chapter 40. He says, Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and His arm rules for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him, and His recompense before Him. He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms. He will carry them in His bosom, and gently lead those who are, that are with young. 
So the picture that Isaiah gives there is that since the leaders of Judah have not shepherded God's people like they were supposed to, God Himself is going to come. And He's going to shepherd them. Now turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 34 because we see something similar here in Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 34. And here in Ezekiel, the people of Judah have now been punished by God. They've been sent into exile and to the land of Babylon. Babylon was the country that came in and laid waste to Judah. And they carried the people of Judah away into their country. And so this is what Ezekiel says to them as they are in exile, beginning in verse 11. Ezekiel says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. And did you hear all of the eyes in that passage? I will do this. I will do that. I will shepherd my people in righteousness, you could say. God foretelling what was to come. The people of Israel rejecting Him. The leaders rejecting Him and not leading His people well. And so God saying, I'm going to do it myself because that's what's needed. They couldn't save themselves. They couldn't obey in and of themselves. What they need is the Lord Himself to come and to shepherd them. Now turn with me to John chapter 10. So how is the Lord going to do this? How is He Himself going to shepherd His people like they're supposed to be shepherded. In John chapter 10, Jesus is speaking. And He's speaking to the crowds of people who were usually following Him, His disciples and some other people who were listening in. And He's also speaking to the leaders in His day. The very leaders, the Pharisees, who were also guilty of not shepherding, leading God's people well. And this is what Jesus says. Beginning in verse 7. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. Let's stop there for a moment. Those pictures that we see in Psalm 23 and then Isaiah and Ezekiel and also in other parts of the Bible, this idea that God Himself is going to shepherd His people. And now you have this man standing upon in front of people who would know these Scriptures. They would know them. They would know what He's talking about. Because as good Jewish people, they would know their Bibles, the Old Testament. And so when He says, I am the Good Shepherd, could you just imagine that their jaws probably just dropped and hit the ground. Like, who do you think you are, Jesus? Let's keep reading. So he says, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. That's like what those, that's a description of the previous leaders, the Pharisees and the other leaders who are disobedient. They care nothing for the sheep. They flee. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it back up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So going back to the tension that we saw a moment ago in Exodus chapter 34. The Lord, being a God of steadfast love and faithfulness, but who at the same time will not clear the guilty. He will not allow them to go unpunished. And we are all guilty. You know, We all need to be punished for our sin. If God was to just sweep our sins under the rug and not do anything about it, that would not be just. And so it would not fulfill what He says about not letting the guilty go unpunished because sweeping it under the rug is not justice. And if He was to just show love, you know, like 
the teddy bear Jesus like we like to think of in, you know, a good many places of our culture. A Jesus who just loves people all the time, but who does not show justice, who does not show righteousness. Again, you have one being shown, but not the other. So how do both of them come together? Well, the answer is what Christ does on the cross, where He says that He lays His life down for the sheep. Because on the cross you have God's justice. That is what God thinks of sin when you see Christ suffering on the cross. God hates sin and He cannot stand it. Justice must be done on sin. And He takes it out on Christ. God Himself pours out His wrath on Jesus so that He can show steadfast love on all of His people. And so there in the cross, you have both of them. God's righteousness and His mercy coming together. Amen is right. So now back in Psalm 23. Jesus Christ is why all of those promises are true. Because as He says in John chapter 10, He's the good shepherd. He is the one who shepherds His people like David says here. He shepherds them perfectly. All of your needs, if you are a follower of Christ, will be met. And He will make you lie down in green pastures. He will lead you beside still waters. He will restore your soul. He will lead you in paths of righteousness for His name's sake, for the glory of God. He will be with you when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You have no reason to fear any evil because Christ the Good Shepherd is there and He has taken the greatest enemy that you could ever imagine upon Himself, which is death and the wrath of God. So if He has defeated those enemies, what do you have to fear? As David says elsewhere, what can man do to me? And Jesus Christ is the perfect host because He pours out blessing upon blessing on your head, so much so that your cup overflows with life. As He says in John chapter 10, I came so that they may have life and have it abundantly. Your cup overflows with life. Do you rejoice in that? In those truths? Because if Christ is yours, then this is your right. You have the right to rejoice because Christ has purchased them for you. Now, if you don't rejoice in them, if you're not a follower of Christ, if you don't accept Him by faith, turn from your sin and turn to Him and what He's done for you on the cross, then you are right to be afraid. Because one day, 
you will walk through the valley of the shadow of death and there will be no one there to comfort you. There will be no one there to save you. You will stand there in the valley of the shadow of death with God's wrath being poured out upon your head for all eternity, utterly alone. But with Christ, with Him leading you, then you can rejoice like David does in verse 6 where he says, Surely goodness and mercy or steadfast love shall follow me or pursue me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Because of Christ and what He has done for you, you have been given also the right to dwell in God's house, which is going to be the new heavens and the new earth that is to come that Jesus Christ is going to bring back with Him when He makes all things new, restores all of creation. His people, His sheep have been given the right to dwell in His house for all eternity. So cling to Christ and take hold of these wonderful promises. Our Father in heaven, we we come before you and we stand in awe of the promises that you have given to us here in Psalm 23 and the other promises that we have looked at in Exodus chapter 34 and Isaiah chapter 40 and Ezekiel and in John chapter 10 where we see Christ fulfilling all of it. Him saying that He's the Good Shepherd. Father, we thank You for Christ, that You sent Your Son, that You Yourself came down as a man, 100% God, 100% man, and bore our sins so that we may be forgiven, so that we may have life, and so that we can dwell in Your house for all eternity. Father, if there's someone who doesn't know these promises, who does not seek the face of Christ, who does not have their greatest joy in Him, then I pray that You would draw them, that You would convict them of their sin, and that You would show them that Jesus Christ is the Good Shepherd who laid down His life so that they can have life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.